I am tired. I feel lied to. I feel alone. Broken. I thought I would figure this out. Cross the finish line. Find the truth, but I keep getting buried deeper. I don't know where to go. I can't slow down. I feel like I have to be perfect. Always on. Always moving. Why, Why is it, is it so, so loud? There has to be a way to move through it. Overcome this slump. Put my trust in something greater. greater. Connection. Hope. Peace. Peace. I desperately need a place where I can slow down. A space to call home. A home that allows me time to process. To rest. To discover who, who I'm meant, meant to be. We were never meant to do life on our own. So I, I, I will be a part of something greater. greater. Hello, community, and Happy New Year. You know, as we look back on 2022, our church, by God's grace, is experiencing real momentum. All four of our expressions, community locations, community microchurches, community freedom, and community online are all growing. And we're also experiencing momentum in our generosity. So a big thank you to each of you for that. And all of this points to a very exciting 2023 of helping more people find their way back to God. So as we start 2023, many of us are looking for ways to you know, improve our lives. So here's what I want you to do. If you're joining us via community online, leave in the chat, just leave in the chat one way that you'd like to improve in 2023. Go ahead and do that right now. Leave in the chat one way you'd like to improve in 2023. And if you're joining us at one of our community locations in Chicagoland or Community Freedom or Community Microchurches, what I want you to do is turn to someone near you and share just one way that you'd like to improve in 2023. All right, one way you'd like to improve in 2023. And if you don't know, just say, I don't know yet. All right, do that right now. Now you might have said, I want to improve physically. So it might be through diet or exercise. Or financially, and it might be through a new financial plan. Or maybe some of you said spiritually, it might be some new spiritual practices you want to implement. All those are good. But what if it's a conversation, a conversation that could most improve and change your life? Yes, what if a conversation could change your life? Let me tell you a story. Uh, the year was 1983, 40 years ago, and a legendary business conversation took place. There have been five long months of ongoing conversation between one of the most successful corporate CEOs, John Scully of Pepsi, and a young 20-something who owned an upstart business trying to develop personal computers. Uh, this is their picture. The 20-something's name, 
Steve Jobs. And of course, the company was Apple. Well, as the story goes, John and Steve met and walked and talked as John tried to get his head around why a personal computer company would ever lure him away from the success and influence that he experienced at Pepsi. Well, at the end of five months worth of conversations, John Scully finally made up his mind and he and Steve were wrapping up the final conversation. And John said, Steve, I've thought about it a lot and I'm not leaving Pepsi. I'm not coming to Apple. It was at this point that Steve Jobs just shook his head. And then he got very close to John Scully. In fact, uncomfortably close. And he slowly said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? The next month, Scully resigned from Pepsi and became Apple's new CEO. And for the next 10 years, he took Apple from 500 million in annual revenue to over $8 billion. In many ways, forever changed the world. See, conversations change lives. Conversations change all of our lives. And for you, it might've been a conversation that resulted in a lifetime friendship. But that conversation changed your life. It might've been a conversation where you knew for sure that you were in love. That conversation changed your life. Maybe it was a conversation where you decided to have a kid or adopt a child. I mean, that's another life-changing conversation. Or maybe it was a conversation like Scully and Jobs, but less zeros were involved. And you took a new job, started a new career, or stepped out and started a business. And your life has never been the same. Or maybe it was a conversation where Jesus became real to you for the very first time. And you know, that was a life-changing conversation. I know for myself how a single conversation can change a life. Um, I remember a conversation in Aurelio's Pizza in Homewood, down in the south suburbs. It was over 30 years ago. I think it was the second time Sue and I had been out together and the first date with just the two of us. As we ate pizza and we talked over the next couple hours, I remember thinking two things. One, I remember thinking like, wow, this girl is awesome. <laughs> and then second, I remember thinking, I think I have a chance. <laughs> and you could say, Everything about my life changed that night. I mean, eventually marriage, and then kids, and even so much of who I am today. Looking back, I know firsthand, conversations change a person's life. There's a guy in the Bible who had a life-changing conversation. He wasn't expecting it, he didn't really see it coming, but after talking with Jesus, everything in his life changed. His name is Zacchaeus. And he meets Jesus when Jesus comes to his hometown of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a pretty significant city back then. It, it was a border town, which meant it had customs stations where taxes could be collected from foreigners. It was also a wealthy city with a thriving economy, so there were plenty of taxes to collect in Jericho. What we learn about Zacchaeus right off the bat is that he was a chief tax collector. And being the chief tax collector means he had a staff or other tax collectors that worked for him. And part of what it meant to be a tax collector was to charge people more money than they actually owed so you could make a nice living. Bottom line, it was stealing. And so it's safe to say that ordinary folks in the town of Jericho who had to fork over large amounts of income to make Zacchaeus wealthy would not have been fans of tax collectors and definitely not the chief tax collector. 
However, before we kind of throw Zacchaeus under the bus as this kind of diabolically evil person, let's think about this situation. Imagine you're a Jewish guy living under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Growing up, your family was very poor. You always struggled to afford even the basic of necessities. You never got a break. But then an opportunity opens up to you that could change all of that for you and those that you love. And you're offered the job of a tax collector. What do you do? We forget this, but the truth is people in the Bible like Zacchaeus, they're, they're not any different than you or me. I mean, they're real people. These are people who have dreams and ambitions. They also have struggles and fears. People who long for a different kind of life but aren't sure they can find it or exactly how do I find it. So, can we really blame Zacchaeus for becoming a tax collector? Well, sure we can. But any one of us might have taken the job too. So, what happens when Jesus comes to Jericho? Well, let's see how Luke, the historian, records the encounter. It says he, talking about Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. All right, now why? Why do you want to see who Jesus was? Because he wanted a different life. Like I said, he had dreams and ambitions. It goes on. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he, talking about Jesus, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All right, in those few verses, Jesus does a couple very shocking things. First, Jesus <laughs> invites himself over to someone else's house. Now, even back then, no matter who you are, people don't just invite themselves over to someone else's house. But Jesus defies all convention. He calls out to a person by name, someone he's never met. It's the sort of thing only a prophet could do. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to talk right now over a meal. Okay, now that was shocking. But even more shocking was that a Jewish person who was serious about his religion would enter the home of a tax collector and eat with him. I mean, that was unthinkable. Now, no doubt the people of Jericho were definitely talking about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, we don't really know everything that happened when Jesus went inside Zacchaeus' house. Luke doesn't provide a lot of the details, but we do know a couple things. Zacchaeus and Jesus had a conversation over lunch. And in that conversation, Zacchaeus senses that he hears from God. Zacchaeus senses that he hears from God. I mean, look at how Zacchaeus responds after the conversation. It was life-changing. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Notice he calls him Lord, Jesus. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. All right, what just happened? In short, Zacchaeus has become a disciple of Jesus. It wasn't just that Zacchaeus began to believe in Jesus. No, this was a conversation he had that, that totally reoriented his life, including his resources. New Testament scholar Craig Keener tells us this, says, in ancient accounts of discipleship, a radical response with possessions was a certain sign of a newly acquired devotion to the teacher. So Zacchaeus is now a disciple of Jesus. 
And I, and I want you to hold on to that story about Zacchaeus and that life-changing conversation with Jesus. Because what I want to do is I, then I want to apply this, okay, to you and to me. What I want to do today is give you some new language for what we see happening in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus is moving from what we're calling a you life to a you plus life. All right, from a you life to a you plus life. This is a categorically different way of living life. So let's talk about the difference between you and then you plus life. Keep thinking about Zacchaeus. Okay, what's, what, what do I mean when I say a you life? Well, the you life is a life centered just on you. It's often driven by the desires that you have, uh, the ways you think, and what you want. It can be characterized by the pursuit of power and wealth and comfort or prestige, like Zacchaeus. The you life is a disconnected life where who you truly are remains hidden from God, from other people, and, and maybe even yourself. And here's the truth. Most people in our world live a you life. Most people in Jesus' world back then lived a you life. And Zacchaeus was living a you life. But then Jesus comes along, and I wish we had even more details. But what is clear is that through a life-changing conversation, Jesus offered him a different kind of life, what we're calling a you plus life. And Jesus describes what he offers, this you plus life this way. He says, I have come that, that, that they may have life and have it to the full. And what Jesus is saying is, there is you. I gave you life, and you can do what you want with it. But then there's you plus, this fully flourishing version of who I designed you to be. And what I want for you, what I came to give you, is a you plus life. So, so the question becomes, how do we experience this fully flourishing life? By doing what Zacchaeus did, by becoming a disciple of Jesus. And it's critical to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And being a disciple of Jesus involves more than just believing in him. I mean, because lots of people believe in Jesus. But Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Obey my teaching. And see, with those words, and in other places too in Scripture, Jesus clarifies what a disciple is not and what a disciple is. So let's get clear about this. A disciple is not someone who only believes in Jesus. But a disciple is someone who obeys Jesus. That's the key difference. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. When he left his house, he decided from then on, I'm obeying. So what I want to do is I want to offer you a simple definition of a disciple. And it's this. A disciple is someone who hears from God and does what he says. I mean, download that, hold on to that, take a picture of that, memorize that. A disciple is someone who hears from God and does what he says. And that's the choice Zacchaeus made. The you plus life, to be a disciple. And that's what changed Zacchaeus' life. He actually heard from God, but he didn't just hear. He went ahead and did what God said. He gave half everything he had to the poor and gave back four times what he stole. The actions he took after his conversation with Jesus demonstrates that he had become a disciple. And here's the thing, obedience is key to living the life of a disciple. And, that, and that's where so many of us, 
including myself oftentimes, we're missing it. It's about obedience, obeying. Obedience is the key to experiencing the fully flourishing life, this you plus life. I, I love this uh, explanation from G.K. Chesterton. He said this, the problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried and found wanting, but that it's been found difficult and left untried. You see, when the New Testament writers talk about putting your faith in Jesus, they, they use a Greek word, pistis, okay? A Greek word, pistis, uh, and that, that we often translate faith. But sometimes when we think of faith, we think of merely just believing or just intellectual assent or acknowledgement and we might even say, I have faith that God exists, or I have faith that Jesus died and rose again. But that is only a part of what it means. Actually, this word pistis has a much broader range of meaning. Faith has a broader range of meaning than just acknowledgement. It also means like confidence and fidelity and faithfulness and commitment and pledged loyalty. And if you put it all together, the, the, the best captured, uh, the best word to capture all of this is really allegiance. Saying yes to Jesus means giving him your allegiance. See, it's more than just believing. Your allegiance, it means your, your loyalty, it means obeying. And this allegiance, this obedience as a disciple, go back and read your Bible. We not only see that in Zacchaeus, but you see it in Peter, John, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, the woman at the well, the, the apostle Paul, and so many others. And it's fascinating, when you begin to look at it with this lens, each of them had a conversation with Jesus. And as a result, they devoted their lives to obeying him, living the way he taught them to live. And let's fast forward to today. That's the same opportunity open to you and me, to each of us today. It's the opportunity for us to leave behind what's not working for us, this you life, and instead live the you plus life as a disciple of Jesus. And here's, here's the truth. This life of discipleship, it's really quite simple. Not easy, okay? Definitely not easy, but it is simple. Because again, what's a disciple? I really want you to get this. A disciple is someone who hears from God, and don't forget the second part of this, and then does what he says. Who hears from God and does what he says. So, for example, in the middle of a relational conflict, a disciple asks, what is God saying to me about this relationship? And then does what God says. When confronted with a need in the world, locally or globally, a disciple asks, what is God asking me to do or to give in this situation? And then does what God says. At every point along their spiritual journey, the disciple is constantly asking, what is God saying is my next step? And then does what God says. But recognize this, and this is a quick disclaimer. It's not just about trying harder because what covers all of this is God's grace. God already loves you no matter what, okay? That's a done deal. And because he loves you so much, he wants to give you the best possible life, this you plus life. Dallas Willard, a philosopher, explains it this way and says, Jesus came among us to show and teach the life for which we were made. That's what we're calling the U-plus life. And today, here at Community, we're beginning not just a series that can lead us into this U-plus life, we're beginning a whole new era centered on having conversations to help one another live this U-plus life as disciples of Jesus. 
And what I wanna do is I wanna invite every one of you to join us in two different conversations, two different conversations that are coming up here where you can hear from God. Here's the first one. The first one is from January 9th through January 29th. Okay, so it starts tomorrow. We are dedicating 21 days to prayer and fasting. All right, very simply, why are we doing this? Why 21 days of prayer and fasting? This has become an annual deal for us. So we can have intentional conversations with God. See, we believe God wants to speak to every one of us. And as disciples, we wanna create space to hear from God, right? So then we can do what he says. So we're gonna do that for 21 days. And we would love to have every one of you join us. Now, maybe you're thinking, I, I don't know how to hear from God, it sounds good. Well, let me offer you this, the community daily content will help you with this during those 21 days. And you just go to communitychristian.info, go to communitychristian.info and sign up. And I'm telling you, I use this, it'll be a big help in every day hearing from God, particularly during these 21 days of prayer and fasting. And just so you know, as for me, I'm gonna be doing an intermittent fasting from food for those three weeks. And every time I think about eating, I'm gonna ask God, God, just speak to me so that I can know what you want me to do. Okay, that's the first thing, the first thing. Now, secondly, is what we're calling U plus conversations. Zacchaeus's U plus life started with a conversation. And we believe a conversation can get you and me started living this U plus life. So starting on January 30th, that's right after the fast, the 30th, we're gonna be offering every person, every person at all of our expressions, the opportunity to have a U plus conversation. And a U plus conversation is designed to connect you with someone in the church who will help you discern what you're hearing from God so then you can do what he says and take those next steps. As a result of that U plus conversation, what you'll do, you'll put together a U plus plan, your personal plan for taking next steps as a disciple of Jesus in this coming year. Now, you're gonna hear a lot more about this opportunity in the weeks ahead, but for now, if you're interested, go to U plus, we just spelled it out there, U plus.info, U plus.info, if you wanna learn more. These U plus conversations are gonna be very important. And these 21 days of prayer and fasting, the beginning of each year, are so important to the life of our church. And I, I just can't urge you strongly enough, okay, join us in these. In fact, what I wanna do is I wanna hand it off to a teaching pastor at your location so they can share even more. So as I reflect with you on fasting and what it could mean for you to take these next 21 days to pray and fast with us, I was just reflecting coming into this on why fasting is so difficult. If you've ever tried it before, fasting, if I could be fully honest with you, is my official least favorite thing to do as a Christian uh, or just in general as a human being. Uh, and I think the reason why, as I've been pondering this, is because inherently we are consumers. And we're not just consumers economically, although of course this time of the year after Christmas, I found myself buying a lot of things I wouldn't normally buy. I found myself buying toys for my children that I thought might make them happier. I found myself buying clothes for myself that I thought might make me happier. And then of course buying presents for other people that hopefully could make them somewhat happier too. But more than just economic consumption, I've been pondering how every day I consume, right? This is like built into the very hardwiring of what it means to be human. We consume 
time, we consume entertainment passively, uh, we consume information, news on our phones, uh, we consume food three times a day regularly. And what happens in all of this consumption is that consumption is not inherently a bad thing. It is not bad to eat. It is not bad to be entertained. It is not bad to spend money on possessions or clothes or toys or gifts. But as we consume, there's this reward we get every time our brain consumes something. It's called dopamine. And the more dopamine we get, the more we kind of begin to think maybe if we could just consume more of whatever that thing was we just consumed, then finally I could feel sort of full or satisfied or content. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I notice every year when I have a vacation, so I had a few days off right after Christmas with my family, it was wonderful, we were up in Michigan, we were relaxed, we were having a great time. Every time I go on vacation, the second to last day, my brain starts thinking, you know what would be really nice? Another vacation. Man, when am I going on vacation again? I'd really like to get to that next vacation. And to be fully honest with you, this also happens to me with food. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, either with a cup of coffee or a meal. You start getting to the end of it, and you're like, man, what am I eating for dinner? <laughs> you know, what am I having tomorrow morning uh, when I wake up with my breakfast? And so the church has understood for thousands of years that as human beings, we get sucked into this rhythm, this routine of consumption. And the more we consume, the more we're tempted to think maybe our consumption is what can fulfill or satisfy or make us happy. And yet, just like a meal, just like purchasing a present at Christmas, inevitably, once you've consumed whatever it is you're consuming, you find yourself hungry again. So fasting is resisting the pull of consumption. Fasting is choosing something intentional in your life that you're used to consuming, and it can especially be helpful if you choose something that you like to consume, something that kind of gives you that nice little sense of comfort or, or relief whenever you consume it. And fasting simply says, I'm going to resist this consumption because of my faith that God can satisfy whatever need or longing I was using that consumption to distract myself from. So for many, food is a wonderful thing to fast because we all need food. We all love food. Food is such a wonderful gift in our day. So one way that you could join us over these 21 days of fasting is to do, as Dave said, an intermittent fast. I've heard a number of people who are going to every day be intermittent fasting. Or if you would like to join me, I'm going to take Wednesdays as my day of fasting. I'm gonna stop eating Tuesday night. I tend to do a 24-hour fast, so that means I normally eat dinner still with my family on Wednesday night. But for those 24 hours, that breakfast and lunch especially, it's a wonderful time where the resistance draws my attention to the fact that I love to consume, <laughs> that consuming comforts me, that food is a way for me to sort of ease whatever anxieties or fears or nervousness I'm feeling in a day. And during that breakfast and lunch, uh, I tend to find it's helpful to go for a walk, to do something physical, and then also to engage in prayer. That's one powerful way to do it. The other way to fast, if food feels a little intimidating for you, is to choose something else in your life. I've heard people who have wonderful fasts from social media. Some of us have great fasts from just entertainment. It could be Netflix, it could be YouTube, it could be an app on your phone, a news app, uh, whatever it is that you find yourself consuming regularly. And for these next 21 days, it can be as simple as deleting an app, or turning off your TV, removing your phone. Now, mine for me is actually this 21 days going to be 
alcohol. And this is not because alcohol is bad or inherently evil, but I have found ever since the pandemic, especially, <laughs> there was a rhythm in which alcohol becomes a great way to unwind. I moved from enjoying drinks with friends to having a drink at night after dinner, and I have found particularly that come January, uh, it's a wonderful time, as a lot of people in our culture do, to just check this consumption in my life, to just take a simple window to say, I'm gonna resist that thing that I like to consume, to create a little bit of space and to notice instead what's going on, to be extra attentive and sober at night, to be extra attentive and sober when I'm spending time with friends. Uh, so you don't have to fast from alcohol, you don't have to fast from social media, but I would encourage you to think, is there something that you are currently consuming that if you resisted it over these next 21 days, you could enter deeper and deeper with us as a community into the presence of God so that you might actually even hear from God. I'm guessing if I were to talk to each of you, there's something you're longing for God to speak to you about right now in your life. And this tool that the church has practiced in fasting is by far the most powerful and effective way to create space for God to speak and for us to hear. So I know me just talking about fasting is great. The challenge is for you to actually choose something to fast and sort of just make it real time. I wanted to give you space right now to consider what it is you might need to fast from. Now there's two tools that I have learned from reading on habit and from psychology that I think could actually help us get over the, the hump that is actually engaging a fast. The first tool is to just simply ask the question, why? Why would you want to fast over these next 21 days? So I have a question I'm going to put up on the screen, and here's the awkward request I'm going to make from you. If you have a phone, which I'm guessing most of us do, if you have a phone with a notes app, go ahead and pull your phone out right now, real time. No one needs to know what you're about to write on your phone, but I wanted to set you up with this prompt, and I wanted to give you just a nice 60 seconds to answer what this why question might be for you in terms of your own faith, your own spiritual journey. Maybe you're asking questions about who God is. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Wherever you're at, how would you answer this question in your own notes app for yourself? This year, I hope to see blank take place in my relationship to God. This could be as simple as a word. It could be a phrase. This could be a whole paragraph you want to write of a vision that you have for your faith, for your spirituality, for your walk with God this year. So psychologists tell us that if we have a why, we're far more likely to actually follow through. In fact, isn't it wonderful that the why kind of protects this from becoming just a, a ritual or a religious obligation? The why is the vision of why, why you would ever restrict something that you so normally consume. Uh, here's the next question, though. Very simply, for the next 21 days, I therefore plan to fast from or to restrain blank in my life. And this is a great way for you to write out what could a helpful plan be. 
If it is social media, should you delete an app from your phone for the next 21 days? If it's restricting television at night, what are you going to place in its stead? If it's food, is there a day or a plan for how you plan to fast? If it's alcohol or some other substance, is there something that you're going to replace it with? I know uh, for me, we literally went and bought tea <laughs> the other day so I could make a cup of tea at night. What is your plan for the next 21 days that you feel God might be speaking you, to you about? As you've taken a, just a moment to reflect on it, again, I, I just want to be clear, there's no obligation, there isn't pressure, no one's checking in on you, but I really do pray for us as a community. I think this can be an incredible, for chance, a incredible chance for us to examine our own consumptions and especially to create space for us together to start hearing from God. Now, beautifully, if the church was wise enough to give us fasting as a tool that helps us restrain our consumption. The church has also given us this other practice that we do together every Sunday in communion that reminds us when we fast, when we restrain whatever that thing was we've been consuming, God actually promises to feed us himself. This is Jesus saying in the wilderness, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This small, bite of bread and cup of juice that you're about to receive is the reminder that God will feed you, that God will nourish you, that God will provide you with himself. And so while Jesus was at the table with his friends, he took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to them saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Jesus took a cup and he offered it to them and said, This is the cup of my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. There's a proclamation we make together as a community to respond to this moment of communion. If you'll say this with me, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In just a moment, we'll invite you to stand to come forward. You can cup your hands. Uh, you can take just a minute as you especially come to receive the bread. You can eat it right there on the spot. And then you can receive one of these cups, drink it, and either place it back in the tray or take it with you. But I want to encourage you as you come forward, as you cup your hands, uh, just with fasting in mind, with these you plus conversations in mind, come hungry. That's some of what fasting does. Come needy and come receive the body and blood of Jesus that God wants to feed you with. Let's go ahead and stand up and we'll partake communion together. <laughs> 